So thank you for joining me on What's the Tease. My guest for this episode is the urban desire of burlesque, Zyra Lee Vanity. Hello, Zyra Lee, and welcome to What's the Tease. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it is our absolute pleasure. Firstly, I have to say congratulations on your number 31 ranking in the latest top 50 21st century burlesque magazine. Ah, thank you, thank you. Is that an exciting moment for you? Yes, it's, um, it was my first time making it on the top 50 list and I'm still kind of very shocked about it. So Cool, so Zyra Lee, shall we get into it? You got your start in burlesque in Toronto through a course in university on sexual representations in popular culture and was assigned burlesque striptease as one of your research projects. Were you pursuing a career in some sort of performing arts? Uh, no, I was actually pursuing a career in law. <laughs> so I was pursuing a career in law. I did my undergrad in political science and women, gender and sexuality studies. But when I did this course on burlesque, everything sort of changed for me. I'm like, ah, I want to do that instead. So is that like the first time you heard the word burlesque? Yeah, um, it was actually so it was my undergrad. So it wasn't law school yet. It was more so like your prerequisite before going to law school. Mm -hmm. um, but it was my undergrad. And it was the first time I had heard the word burlesque. I didn't even know what it was before then. When you were investigating, or rather when you were researching your undergrad project, what did you learn of burlesque? Absolutely nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I learned what burlesque is, and I think that's like the most, like that's how I discovered burlesque. So I learned actually what it is. I learned that it was like the art of the striptease. You know, I learned a lot about like burlesque history, where it started, its um, roots in both Europe as well as North America. Mm -hmm. um, now, I learned about our legends, which I think is like really important as well. So, and it must have been super awesome then when you went to got the opportunity to go to Beehoff. Ah, it was such a great event! Yes, it's so inspiring. I feel like it's that that event you go to every year, and it's just like it just breathes new life into you. You just become re-inspired, and you fall in love with burlesque all over again. And like you know, from the acts that are on stage, which are just mind blowing, amazing to like the legends night and being able to meet all these legends and talk to them about burlesque and their heyday. It's just absolutely amazing. And also just to like see the entire community and all the amazing personalities and oh, it's such a great event. What would you say was one of your main attractions towards the art form of burlesque? So one of my main attractions towards the art form of burlesque was that it incorporated so many different things that I already loved. So I love dancing and performing. I absolutely loved this idea of like over the top glamour. I loved lingerie. Mm -hmm. I loved being naked. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I love the idea of being able to build a performance art piece from start to finish by my own or on my own. So for me, it was just all these different things that I already loved kind of like jumbled up into this one amazing big package. So after this project teased you and enlightened you to the world of burlesque, you got your first taste of the burlesque stage through kittening. What are some of the fundamentals of this rite of passage that you learned and how did it inform your idea of burlesque? 
Um, for me, I learned uh, just a lot about, I guess, what goes on backstage, backstage etiquette, costuming, um, you know, specifically, even like for me as like a performer now, like whenever I do reveals or I take off articles of clothing, I always throw things into like one pile mm-hmm. or like off stage in a certain place because I realized it's easier for the kitten. And it also just makes the stage look a lot cleaner. So I learned also just about like, you know, how to like reveal things while still making it easy for the kitten and still making the stage look visually pleasing for your audience. Mm-hmm. So after kittening and working as a stagehand, when you started attending burlesque classes, you've credited, forgive my French on this one, Coco Framboise as being your burlesque mother. How important is it to have a mentor in your formative years as a burlesque performer? Yeah, so I um, I started attending classes at the Toronto School of Burlesque, and I also started doing classes with Coco Framboise. And, you know, for me, like, she really changed how I performed, but in a good way. She taught me to be myself and to really, um, you know, never hold back, never be afraid of trying new, th- new things. Um, having a burlesque mentor, honestly, it, it did me wonders. It really helped pave my career in burlesque and help really, I guess, get me to where I am today. Like, I don't think I'd be anywhere near where I am without Coco Framboise. Um, I don't know. I find that, like, for me, whenever I'm talking to, like, newer performers, the people who want to get in, I'm always like, you know, it's always great to find somebody who can mentor you because if they know the industry, they will know what direction to help you, I guess, to help put you in, I guess. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. When choosing your burlesque name, you first played around with Ticey Alamuse and Tiny Behiney before settling into Zyra Lee Vanity. What about the character Zyra from the video game League of Legends inspired you to incorporate her into your burlesque persona? Uh, so for me, when I transitioned from being tiny behindy to Zyra Lee Vanity, it's because I wanted more corporate bookings and I wanted to be taken more seriously, um, which, you know, sadly, sometimes your name does mm-hmm. affect the type of gigs you can get, which, you know, I don't think is fair, but that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And I chose Zyra from League of Legends because she's a fierce, sexy badass. <laughs> so... You know, she's hot as hell, but can still kick your ass. Yeah. So that definitely resonates. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Your love of uh, cosplay has certainly influenced some of your burlesque numbers as well. And personally, I love your definition of nerdlesque, which is cosplay that you can strip out of. So how do you go about deciding which of your cosplay characters you would like to bring into and interpret in a burlesque aspect oh so for me it's really because i have i have way more cosplays than i do actual nerdlesque acts Mm -hmm. but for me it's all about which ones i think would be practical or easier to strip out of Mm -hmm. (laughs) which ones i think are important for representation on stage as well and i also just out of like respect for others i try and do characters that aren't done as much in like my home cities so Mm -hmm. all right Like, what would you say has influenced or rather serves as influences for your style of burlesque? Yeah, well, when I first started, so the documentary I watched in school was called A Modesty Blaze Burlesque Undressed. And she was the very first, I guess, burlesque dancer I was exposed to. And my, my my first influence, technically, yeah, because I was really into and still am today into this idea of very extravagant, over the top glamour. 
um, as well as like extreme divine femininity. Mm-hmm. But you know, as I moved forward and discovered more burlesque artists, I also got really influenced by my mentor Coco Framboise, as well as pro noir. Um, geez Louise, when I realized that there's also so much other things that I can do with burlesque besides just being glamorous. Not that she's just glamorous, of course. She's mm-hmm. amazing. But that I can now incorporate all these other things into it. Um, even nowadays, when I'm creating numbers, I also try and, you know, mix vintage and classic aesthetics um, with my various interests. So I take, I take a lot from, like, hip-hop culture, a lot from, like, my Caribbean culture. I'm Jamaican-Canadian. Mm-hmm. And I like to mix all of that into my burlesque as well and building numbers. What is your uh, creative process when it comes to coming up with a new number? So for me, it's a little all over the place. <laughs> Sometimes I have an amazing costume idea and then I go and I find a concept or music afterwards. Other times I'll hear a song and be like, whoa, I want to do something for this song. Um, and then there's been times like for my Ivy Love number, which is like my Caribbean one, where I'm like, I really want to create a beautiful classic aesthetic act but that also pays tribute to my island and to the caribbean mm-hmm. so it just depends it, sometimes it's costumes sometimes it's music sometimes it's concept and then i just build from there you're known for mixing classic costuming and movements against urban trap music even earning you the title canada's trap seductress in some circles at least what are some of the attributes that these two powerful forms of expression share that makes them work together well, what's great is that, so like a fundamental basic for, you know, typical classic burlesque is to bump and grind. It's the bump and grind, the strut and pose. And I feel like that works really well with trap music because trap music, almost like jazz music, is formulated the same way. You know, you have like different sections of the music. You have like, you know, the 808 drums. You have um, the different levels. Uh, most trap songs will have a dramatic beginning with like a dramatic ending. So it's just... I find the way that the music is formulated works really well with doing like a classic styled striptease. Mm-hmm. In dancing the trap music, it's all about like attitude, facial expressions. Like you can't just have the body moving without the face moving. And I feel like it's the exact same thing with burlesque where, you know, you got to convey a lot with your body, but also with your face. And confidence is key. <laughs> <laughs> confidence. Is that something that you've always had? Uh, no, I've always had, I perhaps I've always had a little bit too much confidence. I've been like the overconfident kid since forever. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I see something, I'm always like, I want to try that. I think I can do that. So that's always been me, the risk taker. So I consider myself somebody who's always been pretty confident. Mm-hmm. In addition to incorporating Afro-Caribbean dance styles into your neo-burlesque routines, Performances like your Mama Africa piece carry a strong message about the significance of black culture and its diaspora. So what do you want the audience to take away when you entertain them with such pieces? I want them to know that, you know, my black beautiful ass is flawless. (laughs) I want them to look at black as beautiful, black as strong, black as empowered, Um, And not just as victims, not just as people who are, you know, oppressed, unfortunately, by a systematic racist racist system, but also as people who thrive and who still are resisting the system and who are still empowered and proud of themselves. So for me, it's about, you know, showing how amazing and how inspirational and how beautiful 
a black person can be even during or even throughout the society that we live in. Um, one of the things I heard you say in an interview is one of your goals is you strive to make each act blacker than the next or than the Amen. last. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's a challenge because often, you know, not everything I do will read as being something that was actually inspired by black culture. But for me, it's just about taking more and more references and costume pieces and music and anything that conveys this is a powerful black woman representing her culture and just adding more and more and more of that to every act. In 2016, you performed this Mama Africa piece at Adita Von T showcase in Toronto at the Phoenix Concert Theater. So what would you say has been a highlight or some of the highlights in your career thus far? Uh, so definitely that because, you know, in our industry, Dita Von Tees is you know, she's a big deal. She's also one of the most well-known burlesque performers worldwide. So I felt very honored to be able to open up for her at the show. Mm-hmm. Performing at Jeezy's Juke Joint was also a highlight of mine. Um, just because the it was just community and it felt like family. And the show itself was just absolutely amazing. It was one of the best burlesque productions I've ever been to, hands down. Mm-hmm. I just did a commercial, so that's also like a highlight of my burlesque career. So for bodacious really, wine, yeah, the wine commercial. So never did I think that becoming a burlesque dancer would also open the door for other industries such as commercial work. So awesome! I'm just gonna add in Panama Burlesque Festival because it's like my first time doing burlesque outside of the North America, mm-hmm. and their scene is absolutely amazing. So I also was exposed once again to burlesque that I just never thought existed or just the way in which like the Latinx culture influences their burlesque scene. It was just magical to witness and magical to be a part of. So you've taken home the titles of uh, Arizona best burlesque in 2018, as well as the queen of Panama burlesque in 2019 is entering into competition and pageants aside of Zyra Lee that like, do you have a competitive nature? I would say that, yes, I do have a competitive nature. Like, I love competitions. However, with um, the burlesque festival competitions, I've never actually purposely entered a competition. I've always just been placed in it, so it sort of just happened. (laughs) Okay. Well, no, for me, it's more so that, like, I will apply to a festival, and then festivals will usually have, like, a showcase night, a Mm -hmm. competition night. But for me, I just want to get into the festival. I'd just be happy to get in. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like... I'll do whatever, just place me anywhere. And then they usually place me into the competition, so. Cool. Have you ever judged a competition? I have. Um, after winning uh, Arizona in 2008, I went back in 2009 to judge their competition. Um, how is that, like, being on the other side? Like, what are you looking for? Um, it was... It was actually interesting because I think beforehand I didn't really get, I didn't know what judges looked for when it came to burlesque competitions. Mm -hmm. So being able to have like a rubric or a score sheet that like shows these specific categories, um, it gives me a better understanding of competitions now and how they work and what judges are looking for. If anything, there's just like, I feel like I get inspired by a lot of work so easily. So I'm just like tens across the board for you, 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 and you because... Mm -hmm. For me, it's really hard to judge something that's so subjective and so particular to people's interests. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, when you have things like you know, like musicality as a subject, or costuming as um, a subject, or you know, 
trying to think connection with the audience like it makes it easier to judge because now it's not just about you know do I like this piece as a whole but looking at these individual aspects of a piece so on your social media platforms you are outspoken regarding your queer femme identity so as an artist from a Jamaican background is it important for you to show visibility and support for the LGBTIQ community absolutely yes absolutely because I feel like a lot of people seem to think or assume that like queer Caribbeans do not exist and we do. We are here loud and proud. So for me, it's important to showcase that, you know, if you are a Caribbean, if you are black, it's also okay to be queer, it is normal. So for me, showcasing not just each part of my identity, but my identities as they intersect is super, super important to me. Mm-hmm. One of my uh, favorite poets is actually Stacey Ann Chin. You familiar with her? Hey, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. Like when I read her book about her experiences in Jamaica and being a queer person in Jamaica, and then of course, like how strict the LGBTQ laws are that are still in Jamaica. So like, have you ever kind of received any discrimination because of that from your Jamaican side of your heritage? Um, I mean, it's a little complicated. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I feel like most of my family just doesn't know. And then the ones that do know, I've received a lot of backlash, unfortunately. So mm. I have one supportive cousin. So, <laughs> so all you need is one supportive cousin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have chosen family, so that's good. Mm-hmm. So whilst you were in Toronto, you produced several shows under Lee Vanity Productions. And now that you've moved to Montreal, and of course when circumstances present themselves again, do you have plans to introduce introduce uh, Montreal audiences to productions like Sexual Awakening and Melanin Fetish? Um, so my fingers are crossed that I will be able to. We are facing a bit of a venue crisis right now. So a lot of our venues in both Toronto and Montreal are starting to close down because of the um, ongoing pandemic and lockdowns. But if, you know, that aside, if I'm able to, I would love to. Um, my only issue is that I don't speak French and there are some language laws here. So I'd have to look into that first to make mm -hmm. sure that I can actually produce um, shows here as an Anglophone. But... Oh, I would wow. absolutely love to. You actually moved uh, to Montreal during the pandemic. Like, what are some of the differences between the burlesque industry in Toronto as opposed to Montreal? Um, so one thing is that um, Montreal has a, a venue called The Wiggle Room, which does weekly shows. Mm -hmm. And they do it multiple times a week. I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, I may be wrong, but I, I know it's multiple nights a week. Mm -hmm. Toronto didn't have any weekly show venues. We had one show that had, that was every Sunday and that was basically all we had. Mm -hmm. um, but we never had like a dedicated burlesque venue in Toronto, whereas Montreal does. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard from some of the performers here and once again, it's hearsay, but I heard that there's a lot more corporate gig opportunity here in Montreal mm -hmm. than there also is in Toronto. So I'd be interested in exploring that more if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Also, Montreal is a much smaller, smaller, way smaller, tinier city than Toronto. So of course the burlesque scene here is a lot more smaller and close-knit than, than it is in Toronto. 
So one of your latest creations is your Fresh Princess of Bel-Air number, which is a tribute to one of your favorite TV shows. I have to ask, and let me first just say this, I love the end result, but for real, how long did it take you to decide to embellish your Catherine Delish robe with graffiti? Like, was there a pros and cons list, you know? So when I first ordered the robe, I ordered it with the intention of painting it because I'm like, I really want to take the most staple, staple burlesque pieces and like everything about that costume from the robe to the gown to the underbits. Like it's all super staple burlesque pieces and costuming. Mm -hmm. And I want to graffiti it like the um, opening credits of the Fresh Prince uh, show. Mm -hmm. um, so I ordered it with that intention in mind. It then came and I tried it on and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so beautiful. Like, I absolutely love this robe. What if I paint it and then I ruined it and then it's like, you know, $500 down the drain. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, one day I got a little tipsy and I'm like, you know what? Might as well just do it. Whatever. <laughs> Stop taking, <laughs> so. taking risks, eh? It was definitely a back and forth in my head. And then I just got a little drunk and like, ah, let's just do it. So when you did that to it, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Like, this is something that I could see, like, going up in Hall of Fame one day. Oh, I'd hope so. <laughs> you know, like, it has, like, that kind of epic quality to it. Have you had an opportunity to perform that act yet? I did. So we reopened um, back up in, so the, after first lockdown ended in uh, June, July, I was able to perform it once here in Montreal, actually. So I'm thankful I got to put it on stage. In closing, Zyra Lee Vanity, you were definitely in demand in 2020. And pandemic aside, you were a busy girl appearing in several online and virtual show lineups. So what does 2021 have in store for you? Honestly, most likely the same thing as 2020. I have another commercial coming out soon, which I'm excited to see. Um, I've already booked a bunch of online shows up until April, so right now it's starting to look the exact same as next year, mm -hmm. um, as last year. There will be no new costumes or anything just because I don't want to create anything without being able to put it on stage yet, so, but yeah, just more online shows, more, you know, just trying to get whatever working gigs I can. I think we're all sort of in like the same boat of just like taking it day by day during this pandemic. So yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. So where can listeners find you and support the work that you do? Oh, so you can find me on Instagram at Zyra Lee Vanity. Um, you can also find me on the TikTok at Zyra Lee Vanity as well. Um, I also have a Patreon, which is also at Zyra Lee Vanity. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you very much for joining me on What's a Tease. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you more. Thank you so much.